Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. I'm your host, Greg, and we have a pretty comfortable win to talk about this week. And it's been a while, so let's let's try to enjoy it while we can. But before we get to that, uh, I just want to remind our listeners, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. And also leave us a nice review on iTunes because, you know, if Harry Kane can support Ryan Mason, why shouldn't you support some other Tottenham boys in their 30s trying to make their mark? So why don't you do that for this? Um, anyway, today to talk about our 1-0 win against Crystal Palace, my regular co-hosts are otherwise engaged because much like Christian Stellini, they are not committed or understand the ideals of Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, so we've brought back one of our alumni. Uh, he is not skiing in South Florida or dropping bombs over Baghdad, but he is the Internet's most preeminent uh, number wizard. It's Michael Cayley. Michael, welcome back to the podcast. That's so fun to be back. Your old stomping right? It's like going back to college, right? Like, well, it, it's great because like I still watch Tottenham every week, and like there's lots of other games, and like maybe I should be like professional or something. But I, 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 I watch Tottenham because that's that's what I that's what I want to do in my soul. I, I'm I'm that broken, and I haven't had an opportunity to talk about Tottenham at all for like months. <laughs> Trash ass, boring team. <laughs> But I keep watching, so I, I I love to be back somewhere where that's all that we talk about. It's wonderful for me. Well, you know, if you're going to have a bad habit, I suppose it's better spurs than drugs, maybe. Brian could probably speak to that better than us, but, you know, I would never presume. <laughs> so before we ask, I think we need, we need to get you back into the swing of things. Uh, you know, now that there's a lot of turnover coming this summer— and keeping in mind, we don't know exactly who's going to be on the squad next year. You know, I think we're pretty confident that noted fire fear and uh, film aficionado Eric Dyer won't be on Spurs for much longer. So who do you think will take up the mantle of organizing movie night uh, when Eric <laughs> Dyer is gone from Spurs? Uh, well, it, it sounds from from the recent reports like our man Pedro Porro is a uh, a really lovely and fun clubhouse presence and i think that he's gonna really have a great time organizing regular adam sandler movie nights for everybody because those are the only movies that he watches oh see i was gonna ask what's he gonna do after 10 weeks when he's gotten through all the fast and furious movies? <laughs> but, yeah, that's another good point so yeah let's jump right into it uh the palace win i wouldn't call that scintillating football especially when you're playing uh, a roy hodgson side but I have to say, I found it very comforting because this is the first Spurs game in, man, a a very long time where I don't think I ever felt like we were under mortal peril. It was a very well-managed game, dare I say. I I thought Spurs did a really good job of controlling this game, and I don't want to get too carried away with that because, like I said, it's Crystal Palace. But compared to some of the garbage we've watched you know, in the last month, let alone this season, I was kind of impressed, especially given, you know, we have a manager who's younger than either of us. Yeah, and Mason up until this point has basically what he's done is he's shown that you don't need to play a like aggressive pressing approach. You don't need to play, you don't need to engage higher in midfield. You don't need to have a higher block as they say, to play, you don't need to play on the front foot to have an attacking style. The team invited pressure, got broken down a lot, and sent guys forward with abandon when they got the ball. And so you got, like, games that had a lot of chances both ways. And in this match, he found a way to continue doing the thing he was doing, but dial it back a little bit which I thought is is pretty impressive for a young manager. Like the fact that they like train to move between a 3-4-3 and a 4-3-3 is, is really nice. But the fact that doing that sort of 
move the dials on how attacking they had been in a useful way. Like that struck me as sort of understanding what a problem was, finding a way to fix it. That was quite nice. And and by putting, you know, by playing Royal in that RCB slash RB role, he could then get Dyer out and play Romero in that set in that central center back role where he was very, very good for Atalanta. And, you know, it's a somewhat less a, a aggressive and attacking central center back that he played at Atalanta, but it's a role that he knows how to play. And so it puts a lot of players in a good position to succeed in a nice way too. Yeah. And I, I, I completely agree. I think the most notable thing about this game was that it was the first time that Spurs had looked like a good defensive team in a very long time. Probably not a coincidence that happened after Mason's first full week of training. Uh, <laughs> Kane was talking about this after the game, but, you know, I think Mason's first match, he had like two in a week or something. So, like, this is the first time he's had a whole week to sort of drill something in. Something that struck me, I mean, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I'll reiterate it because you might have something new to say about it, is I thought when Spurs decided to make Stellini their manager way back when, I thought one thing about it that made sense is like, okay, well, this guy's been Conte's number two. He's going to sort of understand what works and what's responsible in terms of shaking things up. And, you know, clearly not the case. Clearly that was not the case. Mason does seem to understand that, where he didn't go a million miles off the reservation at first. And then, when you know, he was working sort of within the system that the team had existed in with minor tweaks. And now that he had a whole week to drill something different, you know, I was impressed with sort of how he's managed making Spurs look different, both in the short term and the slightly less short term. Yeah, I don't have a damn clue what happened with Stellini. That was just that shit was just weird. <laughs> Maybe it was Ryan Mason was on paternity leave. Maybe <laughs> Levy just didn't want to have Ryan Mason as the manager twice and got his hand forced. But I mean, Mason is. I don't know. It's Mason's. I, I don't want Mason as our permanent manager, at least, you know, not next season. But I, I'm impressed with his sort of maturity as a manager, considering how little experience he has. Yeah, I mean, I think that a club in the championship would like it's a reasonable thing to look at that and say, oh, this this guy might have something. Let's let's talk to him. Yeah, it, it's it, it would be interesting. And, you know, I thought one thing that honestly gives me a lot of hope if we hire you know, certain German managers who like to tinker a lot with lineups was I thought, and again, this is Palace. You can't do this against maybe say let's more adventurous teams. But I thought the way he solved the problem of Pedro Poro's defensive deficiencies was very interesting. And that Mason could sort of come up with that again, admittedly again against Palace, like gives me hope that a more tactically astute manager might also be able to come up with solutions for Pedro Poro, who is, a very exciting and fun player to watch, but obviously has a lot of drawbacks as well. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like in many ways, I think that this was more impressive from Royal who had two pretty high stakes jobs. And what this system did was it gave Poro much less responsibility. And like it, it, it and so, you know, in order to be good in this role, Pedro Poro needs to have, like a winger's attacking output, pretty much. And in this game, he did. Like, he assists the goal. He he gets into some very, very good positions. But that's also asking a lot of Pedro Porro to be a legitimately good attacking winger. He's got a lot of skills. There's a lot of interesting stuff there. I am I completely agree with you that like you know I don't know if you've watched uh, Nagelsmann's RB Leipzig after Timo Werner left. But that was one of the craziest teams. They were, like, legitimately good with, like, pretty dubious talent. And he had a bunch of passers. He, it was, they, they got Danny Olmo, and they still had Kevin Kompel at, at, at a pretty high level. But they didn't really have any proper goal scorers. They, they, they had, uh, they had what's-his-name, the, the, the humongous Danish guy that can't get tackled? Surloth. Surloth, yeah. He didn't really get shots. They still had, uh, anyway, they, they, they did not have great strikers. And he built a team around getting his, they would, the ball would move around and the pieces would all move around such that Angelino could attack the back post from wingback and score goals. Nice. Their wingbacks were two of their three top scorers at like the midway point in that season. And, you know, he, and, the, and like, so you have this team that, 
the way that what Levy has done in what Levy and Partici have done putting this talent together has given the next manager a real sort of tactical like box of mixed misfit toys and a manager who in Nagelsmann has a history of using misfit toys to do stuff and very much there and at Hoffenheim has shown that what he likes to do is first figure out how he's going to score goals and then back out the team from there, even if that means the defense is gonna, isn't going to be that great. Like sounds That sounds fucking awesome after what we've lived through. <laughs> exactly. And, like, if there's a manager in the world who could make Pedro Porro work, it's Nagelsmann. I wouldn't spend 40 million for a guy that you're hoping you get the right manager who can make it work, especially when you already had two other right backs. But <laughs> I do think before we get on to Tottenham's future, it's also worth remembering watching a game like this, that Royale might be a little bit better than we're accustomed to thinking of him as considering what a poor fit he was for Conte's system. I just never even think he was that bad for Conte. I think I, I, he would get the ball and keep the ball and defend space. Like, he was fine. It's true. He's not a very good attacker around the penalty area, and there were losses from that. But I think that we have seen, even from Poro in the last few weeks, what is lost when you're right, when you're right wing back isn't a good defensive right wing back. But I'm saying, if, if you have a manager who just takes some of that final third stuff off of Royale's plate. That just, Oh yeah. You know, he, it, he, it, it makes a, things better a, for everyone. He's a, he's a, he's, he's, he's a fullback. He's a proper fullback. And, you know, we, we saw him in this role, be able to play even somewhat right center back. I think that's a bit of a stretch. I think he's just like a fullback, but you know, he can certainly be moved around in those places and be good. Like this is one of the, you know, let's just talk about right backs. Yeah. Like, Everson Royale is just a good player. He's been a good player for years. He disappointed Barcelona fans and they got mad at him because he's good enough. Barcelona great. fans for like three weeks. Like, I mean, yeah. that was, and Barcelona fans are insane. Yeah. People. And, and then, and then he, and then he, then Spurs fans got really, really mad at him for not being a winger. Like he's good. He should just be a solid regular on a champions league team. And, 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 and Spurs should keep him. But in that case, they've got Pedro Porro, and Jed Spence, who they both spent tons of money on, both of whom are really more wingbacks, and I just don't know what they're going to do. Like, it's 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 a dumb situation, and there isn't really a great solution to it. I just hope they pick the good one, whichever one it happens to be. Well, either we're going to find out, or someone's going to become a winger, or we'll just you know create a traffic jam and screw and alienate like three players, which, yeah. you know, I, or Nagelsmann will be like, Oh, three wingbacks. I would love to play three right wingbacks in the same row, same lineup. What's what is it? Triple stack wingbacks. We're just going <laughs> to, we're, we're going to go nuts. Um, but yeah, other than that, just like it was a good solid win. And, you know, I mean, I think we were a little unfortunate not to get at least one more goal. Son rounded the keeper, um, almost rounded the keeper. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was good. I'm curious as your your this is again things that we've talked about but we haven't talked about with you. Where where are you on Sun? Because I think it's hard not to be impressed with how he's played since Conte in particular left. But you know, even I mean, I think it's even gone up a little bit since Mason took over. They seem to. I think it's a mix of if all the stuff we were reading about the physical the physicality of. The training is true. That's obviously a factor, but it seems to me like we're playing him off the shoulder a little bit more than we than Conte was, and it seems to have really helped. I don't really agree with that. I think he played off the shoulder for Conte a lot and just like didn't get there. Like I, I didn't really agree with the argument that the problems with Sun were tactical. Like there's sure uh, there was stuff, but like it there, he was like, definitely posting up more than. He posted I up would a lot for other, I, 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 his touch. His touch map didn't look that different. His touch map looked really similar. Like I think he was just doing less with the ball when he got it. Like maybe the situations were a little bit more difficult, but I think the people were really overstating how much he used to just run off the shoulder and not come back to the ball. Well, the thing that he would do 
is come back to the ball and make these bending sort of U-shaped runs as he came back to the ball. And he'd do that from a post-up as well. And he just wasn't able to get the right touch, make the right run. Like, he looked like a guy who is aging, which he is, and who had been worked into the ground, which he had been, and who had had a really bizarre injury that he decided he could play with because he's an insane person. And, like... I think it is reasonable to hope that he will improve. And like th- th- these la- this last month has been really, really heartening for like this guy hasn't just hit the cliff. This guy can still run. I think that, it, it, you know, this what I would love to see is son in a 2000 minute role next year doing what he's asked to do and taking lots of rests. I mean, what what's what's funny about. Spurs, you know, he's been hurt all year, but like, let's, I mean, let's put aside any conversation about, are we going to sell Kane or whatever? But like, just in this, how this team is currently constructed, like Spurs should be in a position to get, to give this guy a rest between Richarlson, Dan Juma, even Kuliszewski. Like you can swap a lot of these guys out. Like, I think if, if anything, watching how he's played the last few weeks, if it, I mean, if that's just a product of, we're not going to make you run two miles before every match. God bless. But like, like you said, I think clearly this is a guy who, like you said, I think it's pretty clear he hasn't, it, it seems as if he has not hit his cliff and yep. it's just a matter of managing his physical, you know, his training and, or his minutes, however you want to call it. But yep. both, yeah. I, 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 I'm more optimistic about him next year because I don't think he has a market. I think for better or for worse, we're stuck with him um, for the foreseeable future. And I feel better given that, you know, if the training stuff that we've heard about him is true, which it sure looks like it the last few weeks, uh, you know, I, I feel a lot better about him moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, what, what you need is someone who can pick up that slack and really put up great shot numbers. Because, like, what you want if you're getting 2,000 minutes out of Sun is you're getting 2,000 minutes of, like, 0.75 goals and assists per 90 which was like his level outside of that one, his, his one huge peak season. And that's great. The thing is that if you're cutting off, if you're losing another thousand minutes, if you're replacing that, even with, uh, even with the, the most hopeful version of Richarlison, you're not getting those kinds of shots. Like that's the point where the team needs to be, you know, Either they need to have a plan for Richarlison or Kulisevsky to be a more productive forward in the penalty area, or they need to have somebody new, which I think is probably what they're going to do. Well, I mean, hopefully we're going to get both because, I mean, I would like to think that we have a problem. We have, I would like to think that whoever comes in next year has plans on everybody being a little more productive in the penalty area with maybe the exception of Kane. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's going to be interesting. Whoever comes in. It's such an Island of Misfit toys. Like I'm, I, 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 I'm glad that the team is now in a pretty good position to have Europe, even, you know, real shot at the Europa league, because there's just so many guys with like stripping this team down to its parts to play 38 league matches and domestic cups would have required making a bunch of bets on which of these guys you're not going to keep. When like Levy and Paratici have done a good job of signing a bunch of good players. And, but a terrible job of signing any star players. And being able to keep guys around, work them through, figure out which of these guys between 22 and 27 years old are like, legitimately good stars and could develop into it in the right situation is a really important task for this team. I don't have a like great answer to any of those questions. Yeah, it's going to be tricky. And we, I mean, between the young guys who actually just need to develop and the guys who just haven't been used properly, like say, I mean, I guess we have a pretty good idea what Charleston is, but you know, I think there's better worlds in which, in which he's playing for us that we've seen. Um, there's a lot of stuff to sort through next year, and I hope it's the Europa League. I mean, I don't love being in the Europa League, but, like, I don't know. I, I was much more up on the Conference League when we qualified for it than when we were actually playing in it. I mean, <laughs> Paco de Ferreira was – I mean, that's some whew, that's some tough sledding, man. I mean, we might win it, and it would be fun to lift a trophy, but oof. 
Yeah, the, the, like the Europa League trophy is actually like worth something. Well, you know, there's actually some history there, even if like that tournament kind of sucks. But at least you might like, I don't know, like I didn't think it got worse than playing Sheriff, but, you know, we found yeah. a way. Um, a br- so, br- yeah, so let's Brighton um, choking against Everton was was big. Spurs. Yeah, now just, like, yeah. Make, pretty like ever, I mean, Brighton could go and win some games against Arsenal or City, but otherwise like, it's likely that Spurs just need to play good down the stretch to make Europa. Yeah, and I think you look at the form we've had under Mason, I don't think that's unreasonable. Um, you know, I, yeah. I don't, I don't, I, I'll confess I have no idea how the Villa game is going to go. I, I could literally no result to that game would surprise me. Like we could win three, nothing. We could lose three, nothing and do anything in between. And I believe it. So <laughs> I mean, after this season, I don't think Spurs could possibly surprise me at this point. Yeah. 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 Ugh. Um, well, let's talk about Spurs after this season. Um, the hot topic now is that we are hiring a new manager. We are probably, we are, we are hiring a new director of football. Um, we are apparently approaching this in a considered manner, and they are telling any journalist who will listen that they are trying to avoid the mistakes of what happened after Jose Mourinho. Uh, at a minimum, I think the managerial stock is uh, better than it was last time around. But before we get into that, uh, I know you, uh, just from talking to you in our writer's room and when we're having beers and on Twitter, uh, like you put a lot more weight than a lot of Spurs fans are putting on the director of football position. So I'm going to start there. I'm going to ask a very silly question, but talk about why the director of football position is so important, Um, because I know it is not the strongest position in the world of English football. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I, I guess the, the, the starting point would be that the most important thing for how good a soccer team is, is how good the soccer players are. Like, it sounds really, really dumb, but I would rather have, you know, a way of thinking about how great coaches are is that I think it is quite reasonable for a team to pay a great manager as much as they would pay one of their best players. And that's a lot of money. I I think, you know, there, there are sports baseball where managers get paid way way less than the best players because the effects that they can have on a game are much much smaller than that but the effect that a manager can have on their team's wins over the course of the season is it really more than the effect that Harry Kane has like I think it's probably somewhat less and so the director of football if they are in charge of signing the players they're in charge of signing all of those players who in the aggregate, we're talking about, you know, 11 starters, really sort of 15 regulars, other players around the side. They are responsible for a much, much larger amount of potential football value than the manager is. That's the basic that that's, I think, the first point is that the person in charge of signing the players is more responsible how good the team is than the manager is. Because even a great manager who is paid a lot of money, who has really major effects, is not having as much effect as like all the players combined. Like no no one would, you know, you wouldn't put Pep, at, you wouldn't take Pep as the manager of Nottingham Forest to win the league. No one would. Because the players matter more than the manager. So the, the, the DUF is the person in charge of that. And then on top of that, the director of football has you know responsibility for more than just signing the players. They are supposed to oversee the way that the t- squad is run. Have it, and, and so that is where a, a vision can be handed down from a director of football much more easily than it can be from a manager who has a lot of very specific responsibilities in their that they're they're dealing with individual matches and they're dealing with individual players it makes it very very hard for a manager to be properly responsible for the direction of a club and then on top of that because the way that managers relate to players is so complex managers end up getting sacked i think managers get sacked too much i think that smart teams should just sack their managers less generally speaking, but 
things can break up. Like relationships can get screwed up in that locker room. It is a very, very tense and weird and difficult place. And if you have set up your vision such that it runs through the manager and then that relationship blows up, I I don't know what I could be referring to. I'm speaking broadly here in the abstract. And then something goes wrong in those sets of relationships, but you've made your whole vision dependent on that manager and that blows up. You lose that. It can certainly happen with the director of football, too. I mean, this is American general managers. This can happen. You know, Theo Epstein's relationship with the Red Sox management blew up sometime in the 2000s and he left the club like that can happen. How how exactly did he physically leave the club? No, he he returned to the club dressed in a gorilla suit when they needed him back after having fired him. This is the kind of smart management we're looking for Spurs, dear listeners. <laughs> exactly. But so it's, it, 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 you, it is easier for the director of football to impose a vision and to be in that leadership position because they are overseeing more things than just the team because their responsibilities don't lie with the team on the field directly in the same way and because it is easier for a director of football to be at a club longer term than a manager because of the complexity of the relationships in the locker room the manager is 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 managing so looking at the setup that we've had for the last few years putting aside (laughs) you know criminality (laughs) what were the problems with the way as a football organization that Spurs have been set up, let's just say since we hired Fabio Paratici. Yeah. And obviously was, the criminality is maybe the biggest problem there. So maybe The reporting about Paratici, and I, I, I would love to see more specific reporting about all of this, is that he was building up a scouting network. That, 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 that he was making our recruitment somewhat more professionalized. As far as I know, he is just like not an analytics guy. So he was not building that up. And that seems ridiculous to me. Like you should be doing both things. Why would you just be doing one thing? Like, yeah, anyway. And so I think that is just like a, an obvious lack. But he was trying to professionalize that. But it did not really seem, and, and again, you know, I don't know, our listeners who are reporters on Spurs could correct me. And I, I, I've been trying to read the article that it did not seem that he was trying to set a larger vision for the team, which should be under the director of football's purview. It seemed like he was just trying to sign some young guys so that they would be good players and then they could be sold for a profit at some point. And that, that's useful. You you can do a better job of that when you are using analytics and you don't like sort of just think that Brian Heal does some cool stuff and that makes him a good player, even though his shot production has never remotely been at the level it needs to be. But like, you see, you just have more misses when you're not doing, not, not using analytics as well as scouting. But I think that the larger issue with Partici is it was just never clear what he was trying to build in any larger sense. And I don't think that he saw himself as building something larger in any sense. He was just like making some deals. It seems to me, and which I, I agree with you largely about Paratici, but it seems to me Paratici got kind of caught up in that same churn that Levy's been caught in since we fired Pochettino, where like whatever yep. else you want to say about what we're doing as a club, it seems like, and I thought we might have gotten there last summer that we just were sort of trying to keep this ball in the air to like, you know, like, oh, we had this great team that made the Champions League final. And then, you know, Mauricio Pochettino is checked out. We have these signings that aren't working and it just turned it. COVID happens. It just turned into this, like, how do we keep this crisis from completely detonating and like making Kane want to leave or Deli Alley want to leave when he was still a big star. And Levy's certainly been in that churn for longer, but it to me it felt like well Paratici came in and they fucked up the manager hire, and then they had to hire someone that they thought they could fire after a year, and then that became a problem, and then we had to hire Conte, and now we're trying to keep Conte, and it so it just it was like on the one hand he's trying to sort of keep that ball on the air, and on the other hand, uh, you know, like you were saying, it's like I'm going to sign some young guys, and it never really got. 
a cohe- it never got coherent or planned. And I don't know. I yeah. mean, he was here long enough that I think that's definitely somewhat his fault, but it seems like he just got caught in that churn and didn't know how to stop it. I, I, I agree with that. I think that, you know, the, the, the fundamental thing here is that, you know, there's a, you, you simplify it, but it, it's broadly right. And I think you see in Spurs why it's right, that a team should think of itself as either trying to win or trying to rebuild. And Spurs spent that the last baseball mentality years, to this, right? Bringing that the way the baseball yep. fans think. Yes. Spurs spent the last two years trying to do both and neither. And so you're trying to keep Harry Kane. You've got you know, you've got two 29 and 30 year old stars, and they are still great. And so you want to build around them. But you want to build around them with younger talent. And I think that the, you know, the, the you know, buying three fullbacks is a great example of this because you've got different tactical approaches to build around them. So you just keep buying more fullbacks. I think Richarlison in many ways is kind of the perfect example of this. He's not a bad player, you know, but what is the point of Richarlison? The point of Richarlison is that he is a player that you can play either with or in place of Son and Kane. He is a player who's a really, really good tactical fit with the squad and fits a particular win-now need. But he's young, and the trade-off is that he's also just not that great. He's never been a guy who put up striker-level shot production. If you were trying to rebuild a team, he is not someone you would sign to replace Son or Kane. So he's a guy who's sort of neither one thing nor the other. That doesn't make him a bad player, but it is very hard to re- it gives you a much, much smaller target to hit when you're trying to be neither one thing nor the other. And Spurs missed that target again and again the last several seasons because they couldn't decide on what they were doing. And I, I think that this offseason, they really need to, again, decide on what they are doing. And if Harry Kane is OK with re-signing a new contract, if he signs a new contract for like, you know, what, 12 million a year, 15 million a year or something like that, like that's a lot of money. But ultimately, that is money over the course of a few seasons that Spurs can eat and they'll probably get good production out of him for a couple of seasons. He just has to be OK with Spurs not trying to win the league next season. And really being fine with not making the Champions League next season. Like, that has to be the approach for Spurs. And if he's okay with that, that's fine. But if they go into this again, neither one thing nor the other, Nogglesman is our manager who can make this team win with young players and Kane. Nogglesman is our thing that fixes our problem. I think that's going to, we're just going to walk into the same problem. I'm hopeful that a director of football is not going to want to walk into that problem. And so if Spurs end up hiring a good director of football, hopefully that means that they're not. But I think that that, that whether we have really addressed that problem that we want to be something and not both things at once. Like that's the thing to watch for me with Spurs. And it feels to a degree with me that it, it, I don't know. Cause we're all reading tea leaves at this point. And frankly, we're all probably like seeing ITK and like reading what we want into that. So, but it does feel different to me than the last two times we hired a manager. Totally the right. only manager we have been reliably linked to that has the stink of this win now the stuff is Luis Enrique, and that seems to have cooled off in a very big way. I, I, Spurs probably don't deserve me being charitable with them, but it seems to me like they're taking some sort of step back to like reassess. Now I don't know if they're taking far enough of a step back, but you look at some of the names we've been linked with, some of the the you know, the directors of football were being tied with, which is uh, this guy Spores, who's, um, you know, aside from sounding like our name in um, PES uh, when they don't have our license, he's, I mean, this is a guy who's right now he's working for a football group. Uh, he is working, he's worked for some German clubs before, but this, 
seems more this is not hiring the director of football from Juventus. This is hiring a guy who's looked on building things up. We've been linked with Lee Dykes at Brentford. I think that speaks for itself. Today, some very, very flimsy links from uh, the Daily Mail came out that linked us to the director at Benfica, who, on the one hand, is maybe another crime director of football uh, because he might have some legal problems. But on the other hand, is not like it's not Juventus. It's I mean, again, these are all types of managers you see or sorry, all types of directors of football who look like they're building from the ground up or at least building in such a way that, you know, it it speaks to we are taking a step back and taking at least a slightly more holistic approach, Um, which, like you said, I don't think precludes bringing Kane back, but. It does mean, like you said, we're not trying to win the league next year. We're trying to win the league in a few years. And I don't even think, I mean, you and I have had this conversation before. I don't think we need the the strip down that Arsenal had to do. Like, I think we need to take a step back. But this is not, I think, even with with it being an island of misfit toys, I I think you can figure this out, especially if you get a pretty good manager in, like, in a a much quicker way than Arsenal had. Now, I don't know if we can challenge for the league in two, three years, but... I think you can make this a Champions League level club very quickly, but I think it requires being a little clear eyed and at least slightly more longer term than we've been. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that the, the the problem that Arsenal had run into was that on top of their stars aging out, they had given just a ridiculous set of massive contracts, not just to their aged out stars, but to a bunch of other guys too for fun. And so they had to pare down a lot of contracts and and that rebuild is just slow. I, I do think the part that is similar is that even if Spurs keep Kane and Son around next season, if they're trying to win the league in 2026, 2027, Kane and Son are not going to be the stars of that team. And I do not see the stars of that team elsewhere on this squad either. Like it could happen, but no one when is on. When Udagi becomes Bale, like you know, we'll exactly. see that. No, like you know, other than Romero, no one is on that kind of trajectory right now. And so these are huge sets of signings that Spurs have to do. Unlike Arsenal, now Arsenal ended up getting super lucky that their players came through their development system, and so their lack of money didn't end up stopping them, and so it ended up working. If if you know, Saka and Martinelli don't happen. You know, the, the the Arsenal rebuild takes a really, really long time. Spurs have the money to go out and find these players. They have not gone and 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 you know buried this 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 money in you know forty million a year to Mesut Ozil or whatever. And so they can do that, but it's a really, really big task. And I, I'm very heartened by the search for the director of football. I think the other big thing that's been reported a couple of times is that Levy hired outside consultants to come in and evaluate their football operations, which really suggests to me that he understood that something had gone wrong, that he had lost his eye was off the ball and someone needed to explain to him how to get his eye back on the ball. And I think that's a really, really good sign. Well, but I think what's, What's encouraging, as my neighbors give us a soundtrack, um, what's encouraging also is this seemed to have happened before this season kind of imploded on itself. Like, I mean, yep. the timeline would have been before the new year when things maybe weren't rosy, but they weren't, you know, what they are now. So yep. I think it's encouraging that's happening. And Mo- Scott Munzheyer, I think, is a real, like, sort of gesture in that direction. Now, you know, we probably don't fire Paratici if we don't have to, but... We did, and, you know, sometimes it's more important to be lucky than smart. So hopefully that's what we're seeing here. Um, Like I was talking about with the directors of football, I am also very encouraged by the managers we're being linked to. I don't think at this point, um, and again, you know, we saw how the transfer search went a few years ago, or the manager search went a few years ago, but all the names we're being linked with, none of them scare the shit out of me. Like, they're almost to some degree or another with all of them, I'd be like, yeah, that could work. Like, like, I, like that, that is an interesting hire that I think, you know, they're all relatively progressive. They're all interesting. I mean, obviously one, I think stands a little bit head and shoulders above the rest, but I mean, what kind of vibes are you getting from our manager search? Yeah, I, I completely agree. It, it, it's 
it seems to me that it's been reported reasonably well from a couple of places that Nagelsmann is the lead candidate and the yeah. other guys are also on the list. Well, and I would go so far as to say, at least from the reporting, I don't know if it's accurate. It really seems to me like it's it's Nagelsmann. If for whatever reason that doesn't work out, it's slot. Like, yeah. And, and, and Nagelsmann, the reporting is, again, seems pretty solid that he is waiting to see that we have a director of football set up that he wants to work in. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that and all of the managers that were linked to all of the directors of football that were linked to all seem to fit with the idea that this is a multi-year project and, you know, does not work, could be fun to fix. And if you're looking on that kind of time horizon where you're building a project that should come to fruition 2026, 2027, 2028, like this is the this is the sort of things you would be doing. But they it is very, very hard to do that while you've got Sun Hung Min and Harry Kane sitting there. And that's going to be a very hard job for the director of football, for the manager, for everyone at the club to keep their eye on the ball. And I really, I want to see them keep their eye on the ball this summer, however that turns out. And I don't think it's going to be easy. And I think that also fans are just going to have higher expectations with those guys around. And it's going to, like, you, you can do it, but you need to be messaging it to the fans. You need to be telling a story of what you're doing, telling a story of what you're doing with these players. Like, it, it's, it's, if if they keep if 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 they sell Kane or maybe Son if that happens it, then the story is obvious and everyone will and and I think we should hear it pretty clearly if they don't they're still going to need to sell that story and they're going to and they're going to need to and and not only sell that story they're going to need to actually believe it and act it out and do it through the business and I would like to see it in either case but in in all of these cases I like everything is aligned in that direction but actually doing it as a football club like you know this is hard very few football clubs are well run yeah and i think that goes back to i mean you talk about the director of football model now i think as an america as american sports fans if you're talking to us about baseball or football american football and, you know, let's say we were rooting for a team like Spurs in one of those sports and they had to hire a new front office. Either of us could, with very little research, come up with, like, some names, you know, like, this is who I would like us to hire. In world football, now part of that's because, you know, like, again, like I was saying earlier, what you want out of a director of football at Benfica, you know, who, someone who's good at that might not be good at what, you know, you need at Spurs because they're operating in such different landscapes and, you know, the needs are so different. In American sports, you know, that like the front office is more valued and what have you. So, you know, you come up with a name much more easily. Like if we're talking about world football, who do you want as your as your director of football? Like from a fan. And again, Spurs should know better than that we do. But it's it's hard to like as a fan. It's like, OK, Michael Edwards or one of his like guys um maybe someone out of the city group depending on where they're coming from i mean everyone talks about paul mitchell like he's better than he is but like there's not a lot of like obvious like oh there's this director of football tree that you should go pick some fruits off of yeah i mean i think they should go hire my friend nikos i think that would be that that, that's what i support but I, i think spores is a great example of this because he has had a sort of you know rocket strapped to his ass career from being a scout at Hoffenheim to being in uh, recruitment at Leipzig to then getting hired by this 777 group, I think, where he is now like the director of football for multiple clubs. And then he oversees them at multiple clubs. And he's never been at one of these jobs long enough where you could really say anything about you know you you can't like you can't attribute the chief scout you can't attribute player signings to the chief scout he may have been involved in them his hiring suggest you can't it, it's very hard to attribute much of anything to leipzig when you've got the the whole system and model around him 
And then at 777, he's overseeing something larger than just recruitment for one club. And because there are so few people who do this and there are so many new management systems being set up, there aren't don't guys don't get established in the same way. And so what you can say about Spores is that he must interview really, really well. And when he is spoken, he's said the right things. But you don't have people other than Edwards, obviously, really developing a resume as clearly in football because there there's there's just less of this. Even on the continent, there's like not a lot of teams that are really committed to sort of like doing a full scouting analytics thing. And even some of the teams that do do it, like what, Bergenstein is how you say it at City, um, you know, like yeah, they're good, they're well built, but they also they have infinite money. So it's like kind of hard to yeah, entirely and, and like, like, and like with the city system to a great degree, what they did, which was smart, has been incredibly effective. But what they did was they said, what can we set up around Pep that will make Pep happy and work well with Pep? And so they brought in a whole bunch of Barca people. And they've done a good job, like, doing those sets of things. But it's really sort of that that's a very Pep centered thing there. And everyone out there is supporting Pep. And can Spurs handle that many divorced dads working for them? I say even for Spurs, that's too much. Um I want to talk uh, about managers a little bit. Uh, we kind of got off that topic, but I'm glad we did. But I want to bring it back. Uh, Nogglesman, I would guess, is far and away your, the guy you would like to see at Spurs, right? Yeah, both because of his track record, which is obvious, and because now there's this sort of second order thing where what he is requesting appears to be the set of things that Spurs need to do like have a director of football model that is a structure that he feels comfortable settling into. And now if they don't get him, maybe it won't happen for other reasons, but because I'm already worried about the club's true level of commitment to doing things differently and to a longer project and to a clear multi-year commitment to a way of doing things and to a set of people who are going to do things that way, like if then they, if Nagelsmann wants that and he's saying, this is what you need to do to hire me. And then they don't hire him. It makes me very worried that they haven't done that set of things. So let's assume we get some competent form of a front office, or at least something that looks like it. And Nagelsmann comes in putting aside what kind of summer business we're going to do. But like as a manager, what can Spurs fans expect from Julian Nagelsmann? What kind of a manager is he going to be? Yeah, I, I, I talk about this a little bit, but like he he's really an attacking manager. He is he, he's you know, there are. I, I think a sort of interesting contrast and comparison to him is is Thomas Tuchel, because where he and Tuchel are similar is in that they build these very intricate systems, tactically complex systems where the end point is getting a really good chance in the center of the penalty area. And when you watch both of their teams attack, when things are good, you can see all of these like little Rube Goldberg pieces clicking into place as the ball moves up the pitch. And then it ends up with someone having a nice, easy chance to score. Now, where Tuchel differs is that he is desperate in all cases for control. The team needs to be controlling possession, not conceding, not 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 turning the ball over in risky areas that could lead to counteracts. They want to have controlled possession. And then you can start doing all the stuff that leads to the good chances. Whereas Nagelsmann's teams really start from the goals. They do everything they need to do to get those goals. And if, you know, if they're going to get broken up sometimes because of that, if they're going to get busted through sometimes, that's okay. And so it is a, they're, they're very tactically complex attacking systems, but Nogglesman's is much, much more okay with a lack of control. And I think that that is something that is 
fun for everybody. <laughs> I mean, frankly, I mean, we haven't had a coherent attack since Jesus, what, 2018, I would say. Like, I mean, it, it has been a minute. So I think that sounds appealing. Would I, I've got a bit of a spicy take here. Is it, would it be too far for, gone for me to say that this, if we hired Nogglesman, it would sure remind me a lot of Liverpool being where they were when they hired Klopp because it kind of feels a little samey to me in terms of they were kind of a mess and neither here, neither their team. And obviously they had some, a better front office in places we would later discover. And then they hired a really smart, he happens to also be German manager. And I'm not saying we're going to do what they did, but it feels very similar to me. Yeah. I mean like, you know, Liverpool had in place a whole bunch of what would be a great front office and director of football system and part of what getting rid of Rodgers and bringing in Klopp was, was also at the same time committing to the people they had in football operations who would build that team and, you know, getting rid of Rodgers and his people who had said, let's just go get Benteke instead. He's he's a big guy who scores goals and, you know, and wouldn't play for Mino, who had like better XG every every year of his career than Benteke like that, that you know, you have to have guys who are already commit to that. The thing that Liverpool had, exactly as you said, is they already had most of that front office in place. They just hadn't fully committed to it. And so Spurs are having to put all of that front office in place that they are building the plane in the air a lot more than just like getting the right pilot into the plane. <laughs> That's fair. Um, the other manager that I think we've been really heavily linked with is um, I'm Arne, Arne Slot, um, the manager of Feyenoord. Um, he is someone I'm not going to pretend to know a lot about, but every Same. every Dutch watcher that I talk to is very impressed with him. I mean, assuming that we're not missing out on Nogglesman because, you know, we can't find our ass with two hands and a flashlight, like... How would you feel about slot as our manager? Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, you know, I can feel good about almost any manager if I think that the process that was gone through to get them was good. And so if Nogglesman falls through, but the process looks good, which I mean, we're they're sort of shooting a relatively thin uh, set of the percentages there, then like, you know, shh. I, I don't know. I mean, I Feyenoord are running super hot on XG. There's lots of seasons where PSV or, or, or IX win the title, but they are very, very good as a team that is way underpowered, certainly compared to IX, but also on top of that way underpowered compared to Eindhoven. And he's got this team playing very, very well. That is impressive. Um, and, and and that is legit and people like it. I always worry about people moving from the from the Eredivisie out of the Eredivisie. The Eredivisie is really weird in a lot of ways. There are a set of ways that teams play that are just things that happen in the whatever you do, like statistical comparisons between leagues and you look at like where these kinds of touches happen or who one of my favorites is you look at ball carrying and in most leagues, the players who do the most ball carrying are wingers. Some leagues there, 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 and there are certain central midfielders who do a ton of ball carrying. And there's some leagues where there's more of that happening with the fullbacks in the Eredivisie. It's the center backs. You've got me like just weird stuff happens in the Netherlands. And any time that a manager comes out of there and how the player comes out of there, the thing with, the, with, with both managers and players coming out, out, out of the Eredivisie, clearly some players translate out of the Eredivisie fantastically as Spurs fans. We experience this, <laughs> you know, Luis Suarez came out of the Eredivisie. So did Vincent Janssen. <laughs> Like some guys come out of the Eredivisie and just like nothing there at all. And and there's a real sort of like categorical difference because the Eredivisie is so it's different, not just in degree, but in kind 
from a lot of the other leagues and certainly from the Premier League, it means that some things translate at a pretty high rate and some things translate at a super low rate. And it just always worries me. doesn't mean it won't happen, but it just always worries me. And like, I, you know, I, I trust a lot of people who know more about him and this league and like him and, and people who understand that these are these are risks. But it's certainly a risk that worries me. Yeah, even with a guy like Ten Hag, who I think has been a success at United, but there's that part of my brain I can't shake where it's like, well, how would he do without unlimited funding? Because he's out of the Eredivisie, and I'm probably fine, but it's the Eredivisie. He hasn't such done a, that great a job at United. Well, that's well, that's my point. Like, yeah, he's probably like not getting United relegated or fired, but they spent, you know, like if we spent. Like, I mean, we, you want to talk about what would get me to be like Levy out tattoo. <laughs> if we spent a hundred million pounds on Anthony, Jesus Christ. Like, I mean, I, I don't know what the hell they were doing, but anyway, it's, it's. They were citing guys that he knew. For that much though, man, I don't know. I mean, it's, it, no, it's insane. It's, it's, it's incredibly terrible business. And like, this is why you have said this at the time. I mean, he, Anthony like, wasn't no. even like a, like some guys you look at that, like, Noni Madueke for uh, for Chelsea, really big production in the Eredivisie, but like you worry about how it's going to translate. Anthony wasn't even like that great in the Eredivisie. He had eight and four last year, nine and eight the year before that. Like, what, what are we going on here? He just looks like a star, Michael. That's what he looks like. I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting. Um, it's uh, some of the rep- the reporting around what Spurs are doing is very kind of I don't know what what people talk about is interesting because like one of the things yep. I keep hearing from a lot of reporters is they don't want the disaster of post Mourinho to happen again, which is good. I'm glad that we're all agreed. Let's not hire Nuno again. Let's not like let things fall apart if we don't get our number one target. I think one thing. And it would be interesting if we hire Nagelsmann, but like one thing that they seem to be really fixated on, because I've heard, I've seen this from multiple reporters, is they don't want to hire a manager who feels like he's doing us a favor, mm-hmm. which is interesting because Nagelsmann is definitely someone at the beginning of this window I would have thought fit might fit into that category, but I think it's really interesting that he has apparently turned down Chelsea as their number one pick. Um, to be their next manager and is still having at least semi-serious conversations with us. Uh, I, I don't know. Like some of the vibes are good. I, I, I agree with you about process, but I'm a little disturbed how like everything coming out of Spurs seems to be trending in the right direction. I don't know. Like we're not there yet, but what kind of vibes are you getting? Like, how are you feeling? Yeah, based I, on I, what I, we're I, seeing? I, I agree with that. And I, th- I think that the, I think that the, way that I would translate the sort of doesn't want to seem like they're doing us a favor is that someone who's committing to a multi-year project. Yes. And like, and like Conte would say those things about a multi-year project, but no one believed him like, because he was at the same time acting like he was too good for the team because that's what he always does. He doesn't really think that, like, he doesn't stay somewhere for a long time. And someone who is actually, you know, professionally committed to a Spurs plan that peaks in 2026, 2027, is someone who's also has to be emotionally committed to that. Like, it, it doesn't work without that. And I, I think that, that that shows that Spurs are looking for the right kind of thing. And it's it's still a hard thing to execute. And as I've said, it's a hard thing to really stick with and execute. But, like, things are moving in the right direction in the way that Spurs are being run for the first time in a very long time. Because, I mean... I mean, what I find really encouraging, like you said, is like even with Nagelsmann sort of on the hook, it's 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 you know, it seems like we're we're at least thinking medium term. And it seems like he would like that's the circumstance in which he would come here. Uh, What I think would be very interesting about Nagelsmann is and you correct me if I'm wrong, but this would probably be the most influence he's ever had over transfers, regardless of how the situation, you know, from anything from he puts his own flunky in the position to. He's just like, yeah, I like the guy you're hiring. Um, so we're, we're going to learn a lot about him in that respect because he, you know, at Red Bull, he's part of a system. Hoffenheim, he's part of a system. 
and at Bayern, you're just kind of along for the ride. Um, so it would it'll be interesting if we hire him. And Nagelsmann, I think, in, in some ways, would have the trickiest um, position because on the one hand, I think Spans would give him a little bit more rope. Like someone like say Slot would have would have a little more to prove. And they would really have to back him in terms of, like, we're not going to let the fans getting on your back bother you. But on the other hand, like, I mean, Nagelsmann is a humongous coup for Spurs. Like I said, he was Chelsea's number one target, and he turned them down. If Spurs managed to get Nagelsmann, and he's here on a long-term contract, which I don't think he would be. I I think whoever comes here is going to be on, like, a four- or five-year deal. But there's going to be a lot of expectations around him. And if you're Nagelsmann, I think obviously what you do is you come in, you're like, you're building for the medium term. Let's try it. Let's try and win a trophy in a, competi- in, a, in a cup competition and get as close to the Champions League qualification as we can manage. And that's what we're doing for a few years while we sort of bet in new players and, you know, rejigger the team. But, you know, again, like we saw under Pochettino in, in his first year, like that can be a little rough. Um, that can be a little ugly at times. Now, you know, Novice was such a good manager. I don't know how, like, he might turn this thing around real fast. I don't know. But... It's going to be interesting to watch because Spurs are in kind of an interesting place. And I think bringing Nogglesman in in particular would just be a strange fit and just in terms of expectation. But I think, like you were saying, I, I almost I, I can't imagine a better manager if, he, if he's really committed to like I'm here for four or five years, like actually here for four or five years. Like I, he, I can't think of a better manager who can sort of handle that transition. Yeah, and I mean, I think that this, again, goes to the, like, you need to either, you know, again, selling Kane is the way that you signal in a very straightforward way what you're doing. If you're keeping Kane, you need to do a lot of work signaling what you're doing in other ways. And, or, you know, maybe that's not what you think you're doing, because you kind of think that you could thread the needle again. And that's what I feel like. I feel like it's very, very easy to come back to thinking maybe we can thread the needle. Has well, it worked? For, has it worked for Spurs in the past? No, but, but it could work time, for us. <laughs> well, it, and it's going to be that tricky thing because, frankly, like you look at like let's say Madison, who we've been linked with for this yep. summer. There is nothing wrong with, you know what. Kane's going to be here next year. We're going to sign new extension. Let's go get Madison to shore up our attacking options. And that's fine. I actually think you could do that and also do the other stuff, but you have to be disciplined enough to be like, we are also going to go by this like star midfield. Like, I don't know. I'm just going to pick a name out. Danny Almo, which I, I don't think he's going to be a huge star, but someone like that. And we're going to start betting him into the team and we're going to live through those growing pains. Cause we believe in that. So you can make a couple midterm signings. Cause you know what? Fuck it. It'd be fun to win, say, the Europa League or the FA Cup or, you know, fuck, I don't know, maybe qualify for the Champions League. But like you said, it's important that Spurs start getting their eye on that ball and thinking about, like you said, where where are we going to be when Kane, you know, isn't a star anymore? So, you know, you need to either go get stars or go get enough sort of plus players that the team can keep functioning at a high level when he leaves or at least starts to decline. And that's the key for what happens next. And we're going to learn a lot real quickly. And, you know, it'll be, I think the Nogglesman thing would be most interesting to see how they, you know, balance like the the masculine urge to try to win the league at Tottenham um, with, you know, a more responsible approach. So, yeah, um, we are recording this on May 10th. Uh, what do you think? Uh, best guess. Who do you, do you think we hire Nogglesman or not? Yeah, I think we do. Really? You think it's going to happen? Yeah, I mean, like, we have a lot of money, and the other teams that have a lot of money, I mean, the other thing, I, I, I just think it's so funny that he turned down Chelsea, because what a direct, Chelsea's directors of football is an RB guy. He's worked with him. He know, they, they could talk, and he turned them down specifically because he didn't like the direction of the team. It's the biggest red flag. What I think is crazy, and we're getting off noggles in here, but like Mauricio Pochettino, after being at PSG, looks at Chelsea and thinks, chaos is a ladder. I can succeed here and seize control. It's just, maybe you can. I mean, if you can, great. But God, that is. He's like, just like, and I say this with all the love in the world. He's just like a really analytical guy. He's like an Energia Universal guy. You know, like he just and 
I do think it's it like he you put him in a team with way too many players and a bunch of them are good and have a weird set of skills. He could absolutely like, you know, <laughs> banish 10 of them and make the other 15 into a very good team. It's just an insane thing for their business plan to hire a manager where that's the thing that he's good at. It's it's crazy. And it's it's I think, like you said, Noggle's been turning it down, like not even like stringing the negotiate. It's not like he what he's talked to us for longer than he talked to Chelsea, which I yep. think the fact that he looked at Spurs like who I mean, we all watched that Newcastle game. Like he looked at that and was like, maybe he looked at Chelsea under Fat Frank and was like, nah, I'm, I'm good. I don't need any part of that. I mean, <laughs> it's it's. Crazy, man. I don't know. I, I, I would, I mean, the thing about Nogglesman is it seems like the way this is lining up is if he doesn't take the Spurs job, he's probably out of work over the summer, um, which, you know, he's getting paid a lot of money by Bayern, so I'm sure he's not going to be brokenhearted. But, you know, either he looks at us and thinks, eh, that's a mess, I don't want to do it, or thinks, yep. you know what, like Barcelona or Real Madrid or whoever, that job's going to be open in like a year. I'll just wait. Um, it doesn't, but I think, you know, us being a fix it might actually appeal to him, right? Like mm-hmm. he's kind of the dork that this, this 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 might be the right kind of job for him. Yeah. I agree with that. So anyway, um I think it's time to wrap it up here. Uh Michael, thank you for joining uh I would say us, but it's really just me this week. Uh where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, you can uh, subscribe and listen to way more of my takes. I got a, got a few players I think that uh, we we did a right Ray and Cherokee uh, a special podcast you can get at patreon.com slash double pivot if you want to hear the guy that i think that we should sign and uh yeah i'm on twitter i am now on blue sky oh. i'm on blue ski i just got my invite today i am you michael Kaley at blue ski you gotta get me a blue ski invite i know i'm like oh. the eighth person to ask you but like <laughs> no no i i got i got uh I got I got devotion to WDR. You guys, I mean, I, I'm by the time I get invites, like they're just gonna be, <laughs> you know, fish food. But uh, if I do get one, certainly, definitely. Well, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. I'm not on any real other uh, social media platforms right now, unfortunately. You can find Wheelie Deal Radio on Twitter at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheelie Deal Radio. For Michael uh, and for Brett Rainbow, I've been your host, Greg. Thank you very much, and come on, you Spurs.